With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Those angelic tones you hear in the distance are the sounds of the Angels welcoming in Chuck Fletcher to become the new general manager of your Philadelphia Flyers. Ah, what a beautiful moment. The black cloud has been lifted. The people are happy once again. The organization is back to being the organization. Ah, and Snow the Goalie, of course, is back after a small hiatus. I'm Russ Joy. I'm joined, as always, by the man who, quite frankly... Reports everything, reports everything first, sometimes gets credit and sometimes does not. But readers of CrossingBroad.com and listeners of Snow the Goalie know he's the most plugged in guy on the beat. And that, of course, is Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. Anthony. Uh, yeah, a, a couple things have it, happened. A couple things have well, happened since our last podcast. Yeah, it's been a while, but we've been busy, Russ. I mean that that's part of the that's part of the thing. I know, I know, you know, everybody's been looking for the latest edition of Snow the Goalie, but boy, we've been we've been real busy on CrossingBroad.com. We've been real busy with the Press Row Show, um, and kind of talking about a lot of the things that we're going to discuss again here on the podcast. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, we've been active. It's not like we've been, you know, not. Uh, not sharing our knowledge and sharing our thoughts with the with the public. It's just we haven't done it here in, in the podcast. So now we're finally getting an opportunity to catch up and, and do that for the uh, listeners of Snow the Goalie. I, the only thing I don't think about road trips is it means that you and I are not together, sitting next to each other in press row, doing the press row show pregame, first and second intermissions, only on Facebook Live on the Crossing Broad page, and of course via Periscope on Twitter at Ant San Philly. It is like a nice little thing that we have going on there. Yeah, I got to I got to be honest with you. I was um, out to dinner uh, Monday night with uh, a, a prominent Philadelphia sports media member, um, and he said to me, "What you and Russ are doing from the from press row during Flyers games is brilliant." And I cannot believe no one else has picked up on it yet because it's you are serving. Uh, the Flyers fan base better than anyone else in this in this city is doing that. And this is somebody that's been around for a long time and uh, has a lot of he's uh, real smart um, media guy. Um, said that to me on Monday night. So I thought that that was and he brought it up on his own. Like I didn't bring it up and say, "Hey, did you happen to see?" That? He brought it up on his own and. Uh, I was pretty. I was pretty uh, happy that I heard that he, you know, thought that of us from doing that down at the well, down at Wells Fargo Center. So, well, thank there you, you thank you, prominent Philadelphia news media person, <laughs> for your uh, for your kind words. Yeah. So, of course, uh, anybody who is missing out uh, on the press row show, make sure that you uh, you tune in for it because I think it it has been a really nice way for us to interact with the people who listen to this show on a more regular basis and, of course, react 
uh, in the moment to what's going on in the games. Of course, typically with the pregame show, we cover the big storylines that have happened in between Snow the Goalie episodes, and then as we get down to it, uh, as we get closer to the first puck drop, um, you know, we we get ready for that game specifically, and then first and second intermissions, we react. We don't do post-game because we both go down to the locker room, get the quotes, get things going for the next day, but um, it, it's been a, an enjoyable thing. And so if anybody finds himself having a snow the goalie withdrawal don't worry the press row show is there for you uh every flyers home game at wells fargo center and you know by the way if you're in the area and you just want to say hey we're there so yeah that. absolutely yeah absolutely and the best part about press row show just i mean i i don't want to keep turning this into a commercial for that but the best part about press row show is we answer your comments and read them out in real time so while we may have our opinions and, and things that we want to talk about, if you're commenting and you're asking questions or you're, you have something that you want to say, we will read them out. We read almost every one out. Um, you know, there are a couple times where we get crunched by the time of, you know, we do have to stop when the game's about to start. We're not allowed to be recording as the game is happening. Uh, so we do have to stop at a certain point. So there are a few that get lost in the shuffle. But for the most part, I'd say we get to about 85% of uh, the comments that, uh, that are that come through so it's a great way for uh, you to get your opinions out and to get your questions answered and discussed uh, on the program is it better than anything else that's going on radio or tv we let you decide we report you decide snow the goalie yeah. the press row show crossing broad here we are all right so uh a few things have happened you've broken plenty of news uh of course the last time we did a show it was in the aftermath of ron hextall being relieved of his duties as general manager of the philadelphia flyers and then you wrote a rather scathing expose some said it was a little bit too scathing some people wondered why things were uh reported so late and some people uh were just flat out happy to hear the other side of the story of course for those who are a little bit rusty in uh in what happened hextall gets relieved of his duties in a few years or a few years it felt like years a few days later he goes out and he calls an impromptu press conference where he effectively takes most of the things that you had in your piece. And then a couple other people, uh, Jay Greenberg, I think, was one of them. And did Bill Meltzer? I think Meltzer wrote something, Meltzer, yeah, yeah. Meltzer wrote something up as well. Um, essentially taking every rumor, anything that could have possibly been taken as critical of him. And he did his best to try to address it uh, and, you know, obviously spin it in his own way to, you know... Um, I don't know, make make himself sound better. It was funny, though, because anybody who watched that, I think if you came away from it feeling better about Ron Hextall and the job that he did, you know, more power to you. Uh, but I, I do think that people who were skeptical of your piece or of Greenberg or of Meltzer or of a combination of any of them, uh, I, there were entire sections where Hextall would say, well, you know, this thing that happened, uh, y yeah, you know, that didn't happen that way, but in fairness, I did this. Like, the nutritionist comes to he, mind. He yeah. he effectively confirmed the rumors while trying to make it sound like it wasn't as bad as it was reported. Right. So well, let me, just to, just to clarify, because there is a, a small uh, correction I have to make there. My piece did not actually come out until the day after Hextall's press conference. Oh, you're right. We, you're right. I, uh, the main, the big one. I did have uh, one that did come out beforehand where I didn't get into the specifics, but I kind of hinted to there being other things that uh, that took place. And then Meltzer mentioned a couple little things, and Greenberg mentioned a couple little things. And I think Hextall kind of took that stuff and, as you said, kind of addressed it and didn't, didn't really deny it, um, but tried to sugarcoat it a little bit. And, and I purposely waited... Um, until after uh, everybody else put their stories out 
because I was going to be, I was kind of curious to see what the narrative was going to be, and I was, uh, I was a little surprised um, that pretty much everybody was in agreement, other than you know Meltzer's uh, story and Greenberg's story. I was pretty much surprised that all everyone else was supporting Hextall and saying that the Flyers screwed this up and blah blah blah. blah. When I knew for a fact, and we had discussed it previously, that there were a lot of issues that were going on uh, within the organization um, that were uh, not not healthy, um, and that was a direct result of Ron's work as the general manager. Um, so I purposely waited to put the story out until after that press conference. Um, and so there was uh, I, I could be I can tell you now. <laughs> that the response that I got to that story was overwhelmingly positive from people at the people with the Flyers, people in the NHL, former players, uh, former members of the media, former coaches. I got so much really, I, I haven't had that kind of positive response to a story I've written uh, in a long, long, long time. Um, just quietly, like people wanting to make sure that they, you know, that I knew that they uh, thanked me for it and they agreed with it and everything else like that. So it was nice to to put that story out there the way that I did and to get that kind of feedback because apparently, and I'll be honest, like I didn't know it was it was this widely known. Like apparently in hockey circles, like this was a known problem. And you know, I started to find out about it before Hextall was fired, and then it really kind of came to a head on Black Friday, as you know. We talked about it on the Press Row show that day. Um, but apparently this is something that had been going on for a long time that a lot of people knew about. A lot of people in the hockey business, in the hockey world, knew about. So that's what surprised me uh, after, after the fact was – hearing from all these people and having them say, oh, my God, this has been going on for so long. I'm so glad that somebody finally was able to tell this story, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that made me feel better because, you know, in all my years as a journalist, it's one thing to break to break a story. It's another thing to, to be an, an advocate, right, in a certain way, do some kind of advocacy journalism. Um, and, and, like, I, I've, I only had an opportunity to do that a handful of times in my career, and so it's nice to be able to sit there and say, hey, listen – there were a lot of people who were affected by this, and here's the real story so that you know, as opposed to just what's being kind of presented to you by everyone else. So uh, that kind of made me feel good as a journalist of doing the job that I did and doing it well. We did an excellent job, and the uh, the, the, the praise was, was well worth it and, and well-deserved. Uh, I want to go through a couple of these things that you mentioned in your piece, um, yep. just, just for the, the sake of, you know, I don't know, catching a couple of people up if they didn't see it, but that that post on the site went absolutely wild. Um, so in the immediate aftermath, I think people had expected that guys like Ian LaPerriere, who had you know been overseeing a penalty kill unit that found itself last in the NHL by a pretty substantial margin, uh, should have likely lost his job. Um, but Gord Murphy, who not many people had talked about, uh, was fired almost on the spot, and as was Assistant General Manager uh, Chris Pryor, which you uh, explained the reasoning behind in your piece, but go ahead and, and do it now. Well, uh, so I think there's two different things here. Um, I, I think that the um, 
the Gord, uh, the Gordon Murphy firing was pro- well, he was a problem, and he was a problem for a lot of reasons, um, mainly because he was a Hextall spy in the sense that he reported everything to Hextall about the locker room, the coaches' meetings, and things like that. Like he was like a little mole, um, which you know I know some people say, well, it's good that a coach reports back to the general manager. Yeah, but he's an assistant coach. It should be the head coach that's reporting to the general manager. And the general manager should not be undermining the head coach by going to the assistant coach and saying, now you tell me what's really happening. Okay, that's, that's not a healthy relationship. Okay, so no matter how you slice it, that in and of itself is a major problem. But Murphy did not have any fans among the Flyers defensemen. And I will take you back. Some actually, this here's something that's kind of new that I uh, wasn't in the story that I wrote, but I'll kind of give you a little a little feel for uh, just how much they dislike them. Um, if you recall, I'm not sure if it was the end of last season. It might have been the season before. I think it was. I think it was the end of the 16-17 season um, on. Um, Breakup day after the season was over. There was an interview with uh, Shane Gostas Bear with the media. He was doing his scrum, and you know people asked him about his season. It wasn't as good as his. Obviously, his rookie season was when he had the big breakout, and everybody thought, "Oh my God, this kid's going to be a superstar." And then his second season was not nearly as good. And so he was recapping it and talking to the media. And um, this isn't an exact quote, but I'm just paraphrasing here. But he said something along the lines of, um, you know, going forward, I'm just going to play my game no matter – it doesn't matter, you know, if I'm going to get yelled at about it or not. And I think a lot of people assumed when he said that or whatever exactly it was that he said, it was something very similar, that he was referencing Dave Haxtall. Yeah, because that was the season that he had gotten benched. And right, sent him to the press box and right, yeah. right, and so so everybody just assumed that he was mad at Hackstall when he said that. Right, mm-hmm. turns out it was Gordon Murphy. Like Murphy was on him constantly to play a different way than he wanted to play, and then obviously last season you saw a kind of a, uh, a renaissance a little bit of Shane Goss's bear. He started to play a little bit more like he played that rookie season. Didn't quite make it all the way back to that success level as his first year, but had a really nice year, was scoring more, was more involved with the offense, et cetera, et cetera. And then this season, it got worse, and he's been not good um, this year. And I think that that's because now I think Murphy went to Hextall, and Hextall was on top of Gostas Bear about it, as opposed to just Murphy being on top of Gostas Bear about it. So, I mean, I think there's an example of why, you know, Gordon Murphy had to go. I mean, when you're spying on your own team for the general manager, even on your own head coach for the general manager, and you have a bad relationship with the players that you are supposed to be coaching and making better, um, there's really no reason for you to stay in your job. Uh, As for Chris Pryor, I think that he was more of a um, unfortunate collateral in this, um, like kind of collateral damage. Chris Pryor had a 20-year history with the Flyers. He'd been um, really a good soldier through his entire career with the team, um, starting back when I believe he was just a scout when he first came in um, and then worked his way all the way up to being the assistant general manager. Um, And he was in charge of uh, uh, scouting activities. Uh, He was also uh, director of uh, player personnel, um, 
so he he's you know he's a guy who really kind of worked his way up to the position that he had. He was the one guy that I think that Hextall trusted. So Hextall would be Hextall had this really tight, small circle of people that he would communicate with. Paul Holmgren was not one. Dave Scott was not one, um, even though they were his bosses. Um, Bob Clark, who was a senior vice president, was not really one. So Ron really just kind of confided in Chris Pryor. And I think because of that and because Chris kind of, you know, was loyal to the general manager, as I guess any assistant GM should be, um, he kind of had to go to. And that's that's a shame. Um, so unfortunately, that's kind of how that worked out. Um, and so the, the Flyers will ultimately replace Chris Pryor. I think Chuck Fletcher will bring a guy in uh, probably at, after the season kind of see, let the season play out and then bring in an assistant GM um, at that point. Um, but I think that's that's why those two guys had to go, and obviously they were for varying reasons, but there was a real reason that they that they had to be uh, forced out. It is a shame that Pryor was gone because he was you know part of an organization that did a great job of drafting, and it wasn't like they they were just great at drafting first-round picks. Um, you know, if you look back at that track record, the... the uh, the better part of the last, I don't know, two, three seasons, especially, the drafts have been strong. And, and even in the, the post-analysis, most of the national media, I think, has, you know, ultimately raved about the value, the value picks that the Flyers have made. And when you look at this stacked, you know, youth system, uh, it's something that, you know, Ron Hextall has gotten a lot of credit for, and, and rightfully so, in, in rebuilding a farm system that was, quite frankly, depleted after his uh, predecessor had, had made some win-now kind of moves. So it is a shame to see Pryor go. Um, but now that there's an assistant GM position open, there were two names that I, I think fans had kind of figured could potentially have been in play for the GM role, although the more you and I kind of went back and forth about it, it, it didn't really seem to make sense at this point. But assistant GM, uh, let me float two names out to you. Former, former Flyers. Uh, which I know might make some people cringe, but you know, let's be honest: the the likelihood of somebody from uh, inside the organization at some point being brought in in a prominent role is, I, I would think, is pretty high. Um, two guys that have some experience in front offices that, of course, would be uh, Chris Pronger and Danny Briere. Do you think there's a likelihood or or a possibility that the Flyers going into next season or at the end of this season explore the possibility? Of Chris Pronger or Danny Breer uh, being down at a you know at the side of Chuck Fletcher as this thing moves forward. Uh, ultimately, that's going to be Chuck's decision. Um, I think there's a possibility. I, I wouldn't put it as a high possibility. Um, I know Chuck, Chris Pronger wants to be a GM in the NHL eventually, and so it probably would make sense for him to get an an assistant role somewhere first. Um, and I do know that there was some internal conversation about should they reach out to him and talk to him, et cetera. Um, I, I have a feeling that that's that that's not necessarily the direction that the Flyers want to go here. Um, I do think that, that that there's more of a likelihood that Danny would be the guy, although I still don't think that's a real uh, as. I think he's got a better chance than Pronger, but I still don't think it's a better than fifty percent chance. Um, and that's because they're grooming him for that role. I mean, he's running the ECHL affiliate in Maine. Um, 
and he's been around a lot more recently, uh, so he's obviously been kind of involved in some conversations. I know Paul Holmgren thinks very highly of him. Um, I'm sure Dave Scott likes him. Uh, they wouldn't have given him the, the, the chance to you know run their affiliate in Maine uh, if, uh, if they didn't like him. Um, so I think he's kind of like getting his feet wet in what it takes to manage a team. Um, so I think that there's a, a, a possibility there, although I still think that that one might be a little bit down the road more so than next season. Um, if anything else, I, like I, if, I had to, if I had to guess where he goes with this, I think Chuck Fletcher um, will probably try and bring somebody from outside the organization um, in to, to be an assistant GM. Um, just like if they if they decide to make a coaching change at some point, um, you know, it, it, I think that there's a possibility that uh, that he would bring in a coach that he's familiar with more so than somebody that you know we would anticipate um, coming in. So, and I think we'll we'll kind of answer those questions. We have some Twitter questions that are coming from fans uh, for tonight, and I think that uh, we can address those when when the, we get to those questions. Uh, speaking of bringing somebody in from outside the organization, another piece of news that Anthony Sanfilippo broke uh, was the fact that the Flyers brought in, or I, I guess I should say, Comcast Spectacor brought in somebody from outside of the organization. That's uh, Valerie Camillo, who came to the the uh, crew here from uh, the Washington Nationals. Uh, to be the new president of business operations for the Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. That was a scoop that you had, and uh, I don't know how long or how uh, how long you were sitting on this one, uh, but you made the uh, the breaking news go out, uh, I, I believe, about an hour before Comcast Spectacor reported it. So I don't know uh, when you were first tipped off to that, but uh, well, I is can, it, I, is it, I is can it a shake-up, or is, or is this just, you know, putting, yeah, a, putting a new question. figurehead in? That's a great question, um, and I'm not sure that we have the honest answer just yet. Um, so I had first found out about this hire on Thursday uh, when we were down at the uh, game against Columbus, the last home game uh, before the road trip. And um, the way it was presented to me that night was that this person was coming in to basically take over the roles that Sean Tilger had uh, as the chief operating officer for the Flyers. And so that was the initial story that I was given. And I had actually begun writing it um, that night, as soon as we got home from the game. Um, and my plan was to put it out on Friday, that, you know, oh my, you know, the Flyers are, you know, or Comcast Spectacor is hiring this woman from the, from the Washington Nationals to come in and, and kind of basically take over Sean's role. And I was you know, going to be a little bit critical, to be honest with you, um, because my my impression was was that you know there that Dave Scott was not happy with the work that that um, Sean had been doing uh, in, in that role. Um, but on Friday, I had the opportunity to, to speak with a couple of people um, who were probably a little bit more um, involved in this. Uh, and a little bit more knowledgeable than the than the folks that originally told me about the uh, the hire. And after talking to them on Friday, I decided to wait. And I said, you know, I'm going to try and you know this because this seems more like a more rational explanation uh, for why this hire is happening. And 
so I decided to wait to, to put the story out, and I was going to try and get a hold of uh, Dave Scott, um, who is now the chairman and CEO of Comcast Spectacore, I try and get a hold of him over the weekend. Uh, efforts on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday um, went by the wayside, was not able to get a hold of him. Um, and so then come Monday morning, um, I decided to run the story um, knowing that they were going to make the announcement at some time on Monday. I wasn't sure exactly what time, but I knew they were going to make the announcement sometime on Monday. Um, I wanted to get it out right away, uh, just when, uh, you know, opening of business, which is usually 9 o'clock for the website, um, and get it out then. And I was telling the story from the angle of the people who I had spoken to on Friday, um, which made a lot more sense that this was more of a... um, uh, the role that Peter Luco used to have as far as being the president of the Flyers, but from a business perspective. So Luco, when, when Luco was president, he was president of both the business side and the hockey operations side. Um, now, when we've had Paul Holmgren as president of the hockey operations side for the past four plus years, uh, but the, we've never had or a replacement for the business side uh, that Luco had after Luco resigned in 2013 um so that kind of has been left out there since then so valerie camillo is going to come in and kind of take that role so it's almost like it went back to the structure that was in place in 2013 except that the role of the president of the team has been split into two one that takes care of the hockey operations side which is paul holmgren and one that takes care of the business side which is now valerie camillo Sean Tilger maintains his job as the chief operating officer of the Flyers, still doing all the things that he does, except now he reports, instead of reporting directly to Dave Scott, he reports to Valerie Camillo now. Um, It does seem a little awkward that the chief operating officer of the team now has to report to another manager that's not the chairman. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, So that does seem a little bit weird, but from what I'm told, this is no different than the way it used to be. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I, I believe the people who I talk to, um, and then we'll, we'll, you know, for now, I think that that's probably the way it's going to be. I will be interested though, to see where things are once the season ends, because I think that the possibility does exist. I have to admit, knowing how Comcast operates, um, I guess the possibility does exist that change could happen in the off season. And that's usually when they make their changes, um, is once the season ends, so we'll, you know, we'll obviously have the binoculars on the, the front office uh, of the, on the business side come, you know, April, May, you know, once, whenever the season officially comes to a close. Um, but I think until that point, everybody's going to be in the role that they're in without, without any more changes. You mentioned Sean Tilger, which leads me to the third and final story that you broke since the last time we did a Snow the Goalie podcast. And that, of course, is the much-anticipated story about Flyers attendance. Uh, It's something that you and I have focused in on a lot, especially during the Press Row show. Uh, Every single game, we're kind of, uh, I don't know, looking pretty cross at, at what we're seeing out there. A lot of a lot of group, a lot of groups and rows and sections of empty seats, which certainly does not help the home ice advantage that used to make playing in Philadelphia such an advantage for the for the orange and black. Have at it. Well, I mean, we could probably have a discussion about this, Russ, because 
I think it's as this is an old school mentality versus a new school mentality of of fans and, and how they are. I can tell you when I was younger, going to a game, you had an opportunity to get tickets. If you wanted to go, you got the tickets. Like you didn't wait. Like you didn't sit there and say, "Oh, I wonder if this price will go down." Or, "Oh, I know, like there's you know hundreds of other seats available, so I don't need to buy these tickets now. I can wait till last minute." And blah blah blah. Like there's all kinds of differences now which i mean some you know as a fan you can look at it as a positive because you say oh i can get tickets for 15 20 bucks now as opposed to paying 85 90 which is face value um but the negative ends up being twofold one if you're a season ticket holder and you can't go to the game trying to resell your tickets and get any kind of value for the tickets that you have is is awful like you're not going to get anything because there are people who are selling tickets for pennies on the dollar. So that's a negative to being a season ticket holder. Uh, and the other negative is, you know, these tickets are already that are that are up for sale on the secondary market are already purchased. Um, so they're there. Like people people have already paid for them. The Flyers have already gotten their money for them. Um, so what ends up happening is, you know, if you can't resell them and you know, whether it's a a ticket agency, a broker, or whether it's a season ticket holder, or whether it's just a you know average fan who happens to have a couple seats and doesn't want to go, and they want to try and sell them on the secondary market, if they don't get purchased, they don't get purchased. Um, it doesn't, you know, the, the ticket is sold, the flyers got their money, but now you have something called the drop count. And the drop count is the number of tickets that are dropped that are out that don't get used. That's what the drop count is, and it ends up being a percentage, um, and the percentage has been going up over the course of the last few years um, and that's just again a generational thing and it's f- interesting Sean and I talked we talked at the end of November uh, about this and you know we had a very candid conversation and you know Sean's roughly my age I think he's got me by a couple years but um, you know we talked about saying how the the generation today's generation of fan comes late leaves early um, they're not as you know, there's there's more pulling on their pocket for entertainment dollars, um, and you know, obviously, it used to be that you know you had to watch the game on Prism, for example, right? I mean, they had '90s night and they did the Prism open. What a beautiful uh, night that was! '90s night was. Kind of, was, uh, was I had all cool, the feels. Right? I had all the feels. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so well done. Yeah, it was. It was really well done. But um, uh, so anyway, like you know, you, you had to, you had to have Prism. To watch the game, and if you didn't have Prism, like you couldn't go to the bar and watch it because if they didn't have Prism, that you know, it was, it's not like there was no satellite, there was no, there was no streaming video. You weren't able to watch it on your phone or anything like that. I mean, so the options were limited. So you went to the game and you got down there and you didn't miss it. You were there on time and you never didn't leave till the last you know, the horn sounded, and and that place was packed. And at the, when it was at the Spectrum, it was seventeen thousand nine or whatever the, the attendance was, and then you know Wells Fargo was built and they would. Average easily average nineteen six nineteen seven a game, and that that place was full. But over as you know, where did people uh, change? Where did people park their horse and buggies at that time? <laughs> did they light the inside of the arena with candles? I'm I'm genuinely nice. curious. Nice, uh, but over time, this is kind of what's happened. And so now you have these drop counts that are on average probably around twelve thirteen percent. Um, so you end up getting you know you end up selling. Uh, you know, nineteen thousand five hundred tickets, but about twenty two hundred of them don't show up because of this the secondary market and the tickets aren't selling on secondary market. Um, one of the things that the Flyers 
realized that they were doing that was a mistake. First thing is, as Sean said, hey, we we needed to pull some tickets back because we can't have it hurts our season ticket holders to have all these seats that are out there that people can get for you know twenty bucks and they can't get their money back that they paid for their seats. Which I I have a <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I look at it two ways. One, I get it. Like, you can't go to every game, right? You can't make every game. So you want what do you want to do? You want to find somebody to buy your tickets. Okay, put them up online. Hopefully somebody will buy them. And you want to get a little bit of your money back. Um, but at the same time, don't buy season tickets if, it's the, if the whole goal is to make money off it. Because that's, you're not going to. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the mistake. And so to sit there and complain about that if you're a season ticket holder – I don't have any sympathy for you. Like, it, it, look, if you if you're a, if you want to be a season ticket holder, there's 41 home games. You have to be willing to go to you know 30 to 35. Yeah. All right. I mean, if you're a season ticket holder, that you have to be willing to have you or somebody in your family or friends go to 30, 35. If you need to sell somewhere between you know seven and ten games, okay, I get it. All right, fine. You can't go to every game, and you want to sell seven to ten. That's fine. But the, there are people out there who buy season tickets, go to like a handful of games, and try to sell the other 35. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> what the hell are you doing that for? That doesn't make any sense, you know. So, I, so only, I don't have. Only if you're gonna go to the the games that you know you're not gonna get any value for, like if you're playing Florida, but then you decide to sell right. uh, whenever like Vegas comes in or, or Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh. Or, or yeah, the and, and like right, you yeah, obviously make right. some money back on that, right. But but that, but that's so but you shouldn't look at then, it. As a, but then you're also missing being at the best games. So right. so you, sh- like, you then shouldn't it, be a season. Really, is a, a curious play, right? You shouldn't be a season ticket holder as as a business proposal. I mean, that's really that's really what it comes down to. Um, so I get it. So the Flyers, you know, Tilger said they pulled back 500 tickets that they were making available to brokers because they wanted to you know improve the odds of, of season ticket holders getting you know more money for their tickets, and it makes perfect sense. By by doing that. They also knew that they were going to, you know, have a, a slightly negative impact on their attendance because they know how many tickets they sell for games. So having an extra 500 seats now suddenly available for them to give out is now going to be, it's now going to hurt that that ticket number. Um, and then secondly, the other mistake that they were making is when they were selling tickets to brokers, they were selling them in in clumps of seats in the same sections. So we were at the playoff game last year, uh, or a couple playoff games against Pittsburgh last year, and you're looking around the stadium, and there are giant sections, even in the lower bowl, of like six or seven rows of empty seats in the same section. And you're like, this is a damn playoff game against the Penguins. How can these seats not be full? How can you not have, you know, not show up, A, or B, not be able to sell tickets to this game? Like, it, it kind of floored me. And in conversation with, with Tilger at the time, and, and then I reiterated it again with him when we met in November, was that, um, yeah, that they, they, they realized it was a mistake to sell them in bulk like that to, um, to brokers. And so what they've done now, even though they've, you know, they've pulled back 500, but even the ones that they're selling to brokers, they're now not selling that many seats together. They're selling, you know, a row here, a row there kind of thing so that it doesn't look as bad if people don't show up. So that that's some of the stuff there, and it turns out that the Flyers' drop count overall up till that point, which was the end of November, um, was down two percent from last year. However, 
Uh, one game, uh, if you remember, the Islanders game was during that surprise snowstorm, mm-hmm. um, and a, a, their drop count that game was really bad. So it was like they were they were only at sixty two percent capacity for that game because of the weather. So if you take that game out, they're about on par with where they were last year. So there's really not it's not not like this season their fans are more apathetic than they were last season. It's it's kind of identical. But if you look back over the course of the past several seasons, there is a significant drop. And so the question now becomes, is that because the team's simply mediocre? Or is that because of the secondary market? Or is it a combination of both? And it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, I, th- I think so. it's, it's definitely got to be some of the apathy. Uh, one of the, the comments that we got here was from uh, Patrick at Path525 on Twitter, who said, I love the Flyers, but they're unwatchable. And it's gotten to the point where I just want them to stop and go away for a year so I can focus on the Eagles, 76ers, Phillies, just stop. I'm, that is a, a sentiment that we've been hearing more and more of. Yeah, and it's it's I, you know I got a lot of um, comments on the story and uh, both on Crossing Broad on the Facebook page and then also uh, people tweeting at me. You know, season ticket holders who are saying you know, they're, they're just fed up because you know there are fans who can get into the game for so cheap and and they can't sell their tickets. And I and I again I get it I feel for them if in fact they're only trying to sell that one game or or just a handful of games, but I don't feel bad for you if you're trying to sell if you're a season ticket holder and you're just holding on to season tickets until the team is good and you're trying to sell games and think you're going to get money back because you're just not you got to yeah. be re- you got to be realistic and rational about it. Um, so uh, anyway, long story short. Um, I, I I think that there is a little bit of a little bit of apathy, and I think that it's it's obvious. But it's it's over the course of a long period of time. It's not some, something that's just happening now. If that makes sense. No, it does. Like I've been saying, sixteen thousand strong down at Wells Fargo Center. Um, all right, so <laughs> let's let's move off that. So th- there have been a, a few things that have happened. Of course, since the last time we recorded, uh, there have been multiple games. Um, most notably, I would say the Flyers went to Pittsburgh and pulled off. It's not like the Penguins have have had a great season at this point by any stretch. Uh, they've they've been kind of struggling for a lot of the season, uh, only a spot ahead of the Flyers. I think even going into that game, and the Flyers kind of stunned Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They won four to two. That was a night that you and I, uh, along with the rest of the team from the site, were out having a lovely steak dinner. Uh, which took pretty much everything in my power to try to get you to go to that, and it was a, that was a good night. Uh, nobody could seem to believe that the Flyers had actually pulled that one off, and then they followed it up uh, five days later with a loss to the Blue Jackets. They of course rebounded with a four-goal effort, uh, a four-goal win over uh, the Buffalo Sabers. Got a little bit of revenge for earlier in the season, and then the next night, literally the next day after they won six to two in Buffalo, they drop a game to Winnipeg 7-1 to where they were just quite frankly outplayed and Michael Neuver uh, <laughs> uh, Michael Neuver thanks for playing I guess uh, if you're in the in the uh, camp of tanking the season by all means put Michael Neuver out there for the next five games until he inevitably gets injured but um, that uh, by my count that was the uh, fourth game that the team has lost by five goals or more or four goals or more I think it was four goals or more might have been five um they're they're getting blown out in nearly what one out of every six games they play this season, give or take, uh, and and getting blown out by considerable margins. I mean, 
there have been plenty of questions going on about, you know, is this a Dave Hackstall thing? Uh, Mike Aceto on Twitter um, says, do you see Hackstall lasting all the way to the, to the season ticket holders town hall meeting in the spring? Um, there were other questions that we got, I believe, about the fact that, you know, this team's gotten blown out. Uh, he also brought up, do you attribute the frequent blowouts, even dating back to last season, to poor leadership from veteran players and coaching staff? If so, what changes would you make? <sighs> to me, there's something rotten within that locker room and I I can't totally put my my finger on what it is. Um you've been down there for longer than I have. I I like to think that if there's one thing I'm pretty decent at, it's reading a room. And at no point in in this season have I felt like going into that locker room after a home game that there is a a real unity among the players. Um I I wrote about this a, a while back. And some people thought that I was just, you know, throwing crap against the wall to see if it sticks. But it's something I genuinely think. I, I think that there are divisions within that locker room. And I don't think that's unnatural or or there's, you know, something that's, you know, uh, unique about this situation. But I, I don't think it's the most cohesive locker room. And I think you could see that in the way they play on the ice. And this team, we've talked so many times about the fact that they're, they're not the strongest uh in terms of their their mental state when things go wrong. This team really to me you you feel their youth when they go behind when they fall behind. And have there been, you know, a few games in in recent weeks where the team has been able to fight their way back after falling down early? Yeah, like there there've been a couple, but for the most part, and I think you can even, you know, pass this over not just this season but the previous season, maybe even two seasons ago. This team falls behind early, especially at home. You can pretty much write the game off. I mean, again, there have been a couple exceptions to this, but for the most part, something goes sideways, and it, it doesn't feel like this team believes in themselves or their or one another or their ability to, to really claw their way back into a game. And whether that's the coach, the coaching staff, if that's the players, if that's the veteran core, I just don't see it. I don't think what you're looking at here, and this isn't to go with like the old school, everything needs to be rah, 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 and you know, smash your head through a cinder block wall to get the team going, but I just don't think there's a fire there. And if it is a fire, it's like this introverted fire that, quite frankly, isn't going to motivate the masses. And I, I think, to some extent, like we we see that in that locker room, there, there are a few guys who are demonstrative after games. Like Radko Gudis is a guy who comes to mind when the team loses, he's pissed. I mean, he he's as pissed as anybody in that locker room, right? Uh, there there was a game uh, that we went in. It was uh, right after the, the Flyers had, uh, I think it was, was it the, the overtime game where Konechny and Wheel sat at their lockers for a solid 10 minutes into the media availability. Uh, neither of them to that point had, had even been called up and they, they were just sitting there just brewing in it. And like, I, I feel like, the way that some of the younger guys and, and what looks like the next core, the way that they react as a whole to, to losses versus what the veterans are doing at this point, you know, I think if, if fans could really see what's going on in that locker room, I think they would see some of this division. I'm not saying the team doesn't like each other. I just think they react to things differently, and I don't think there's anybody who really bridges that gap well enough to communicate effectively, especially to the younger players when things are going wrong. I don't know what your read on it is. I, I my read is that this is a broken team, um, and I don't think that there's anything that the coaching staff can do to fix it quickly. 
Um, I, the term I used was fractured. Yeah, it's it, it, and it is. And so let's put it this way. So you, you have a very young defensive core that has been dealing with a toxic environment for the past two seasons. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of them have been here longer than that, but for the most part, the past two seasons. Um, and they now have to figure out how to be how to fix that. And they're being they're bring being um, now coached by a guy who is a more of a nurturing uh, defensive coach in Rick Wilson, who's had a history. He's like a def- that people say he's a uh, defense whisperer, um, and you know has a way of of getting these guys you know to to recognize their potential. But when you have such a long-standing problem that has been going on. It's not something that's going to be easily fixed overnight. So, the, the, what ha- what Chuck Fletcher has to you know identify here as the G- GM, and he's only been on the job for eight days, right? So, um, it, it's not something that's going to just happen overnight. Um, it, what he has to identify is these guys who have been playing terrible, um, you know. Your Ivan Provorovs, your Shane Gostas Bears, your uh, these guys. Can they? Will they fix it? Will they? Are they fixable? My thought process is yes. I kind of think they are, um, but I also don't think it's going to be something that you're going to see this season. I think this is something that probably really doesn't doesn't show itself until next year. Um, that said, you got to look at what else is on this roster and say, what can the Flyers do with the rest of this roster? Wayne Simmons is a free agent next year. I think he's obviously going to go. What does he get you? Probably not a lot, but he'll get you something. I mean, but he'll you know it'll, it'll get you some value, but not a ton of value. I think Michael Raffle will be traded. Um, he's another guy that's got value. Um, and I think that the Flyers can probably get a little something for him. Then you have to start making bigger decisions. You know, you have to look at a guy like Voracek and say, can we make something work in a trade with him? You have to look at a guy like Gostas Bear and say, does he, does, you know, are his limitations, defensive limitations, too much to maintain having an offensive-minded specialist defenseman on your team. Um, Can I stop you there for a second, though? Ghost, yeah, go I, ahead. I feel like one of the... It's a tough, it's a tough thing the, to say. One go of ahead. the concerning things about Ghost has just been like, yeah, okay, he's an offensive-minded defenseman, but he also seems to be a guy who right now is just hesitant to, to put the puck on net. Yeah, he's, he doesn't know what he's... He, like, he's out he's, of sorts. He is out of sorts. And this and, I think and that speaks and, to what we're seeing in that locker room you know, whether it's after a loss or, or after the rare home win, like a lot of these guys just seem to to be lost without a paddle. It's, it's yeah, a, so you know, like maybe Rick Wilson comes wrong. in and, and he is the defense whisperer. Like, I don't know. But some like I, I feel like the team almost needs a sports psychologist more than they need a new coach. You know, yeah. and I, I don't mean that. Yeah, you might, I don't, I don't you mean might that be to right be, to be taken no, like, you might be the right. wrong way. But 
you know, on the Sixers side of things, everybody talks about, you know, Markel Fultz is in his own head. You know, you got to remember that Fultz is the same age as some of these guys on this team. Yeah. And and oh, just yeah. because, you know, hockey is perceived as, you know, a tougher sport doesn't necessarily mean that, that some of these guys don't get in their own heads. And, like, I think Ghost has the ability to be that ridiculously dynamic and, and you know, um, I don't know, like, progressive defenseman. Like, kind of the, the idea of what the game is becoming. But if he's not going to put the puck on the net and he's going to be, you know, one of the 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 biggest, um, like the most egregious overpassers, then like, I, I, I don't know. Like he's not, he's not contributing as much defensively as you would want out of a, a top pair defenseman. Right. But that's part of why, um, you know, he and Provorov up until this year had played so well together, you know, Provorov could make up for some of his defensive deficiencies and because he was so dynamic offensively and because he, you know, had the ability to, to score a few goals, uh, you know, it, it worked, but it's not working this year. And I, I think, you know, that's part of why that pairing hasn't really worked at all and, and why Dave Haxtell got away from using it. And he's he's tried in recent games to try to put it back together and see if they could rekindle some of that magic. But, you know, Ghost, Ghost being in his own head isn't helping the team. It's certainly not helping him. He just, it's not that he looks like a shell of the, the player that we've all kind of grown accustomed to seeing, but there's just no confidence there. And it's funny because... When Dale Weiss was the one who uh, scored on the first his first breakaway goal to tie a, a game this year, um, I think it was Ghost who was the one who said that Weiss had been in a pretty dark place and he wasn't totally sure if he was going to be in the lineup at all for the rest of the season. And it mm-hmm. was good to see him work his way back. And it was interesting that it was Ghost saying that because in a sense, you you could almost think that Ghost was kind of projecting himself on, on Weiss in that situation. Yeah, I, look... I... <laughs> I, I, it's a, this is a tough guy to talk about because we all want to see him do well. I mean, he's a he's a good player. Um, you know, he. I I I always compared him, even from day one when he was a rookie, to Mike Green, and I think that I might have even been a little bit. That might have been a little bit wrong. Um, he he has that Mike Green in him. He obviously is an offensive-minded guy. He's going to put up a ton of points. But Mike Green always seemed to make the defensive mistakes for the Capitals, and they didn't get to be a better uh, defensive team until um, until they got rid of Mike Green. Uh, and it took a few years, obviously, after he left before they won a Stanley Cup. But um, nevertheless, Mike Green never became anything more. He was he was his at his best. As an offensive-minded defenseman who was not a good defensive defenseman playing with the Capitals, and then he went elsewhere and never really became much of anything. Um, and I think Ghost is probably better than that, but I think it is a, it's it's comparable in the sense that he may never be better than he is defensively. I mean, this just might be what he is defensively. I, I certainly think he can get back to being a, a more dominant offensive player. Um, but he really just seems l- to be lacking confidence offensively right now, and that's why you hope that uh, it all gets it all gets better for for him uh, with Rick Wilson. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I think that's a big question mark at this point. And another guy to me that's a big question mark at this point, Russ, is Nolan Patrick. Yeah, I th- there's a lot 
that I'm not liking about him. And there's even some things that I've been hearing that, you know, I, I haven't reported yet um, just about his attitude um, and the way he approaches approaches things. And I, I'm a little I'm a little concerned. He's 20. Right. He's young. It could it could change. He's Marshall Fultz. It can change in a heartbeat. Look, look. I mean, I'll give you an example. Look at a guy like Scott Lawton, right? Lawton was a first-round pick who was expected to be a lot better than he is and really struggled the first few years that he was, you know, in the organization. Um, and then he realized, you know what, maybe I'm never going to be that top-end scoring talent. Maybe my, my role is better as a third-line center or, you know, depth forward kind of thing and really started to embrace that role. And once he embraced it, he became a much better player. Now, I'm not trying to compare Nolan Patrick to Scott Lawton. I think Nolan Patrick's got more talent, obviously, than Scott Lawton. Should be a better offensive player. Um, but he's really just not – he's not getting it. He's not getting it right now. Um, and and I'm worried that that's something that's negatively being affected by the the, the, the fracture of this team right now. So was it, that's something – Was it a mistake to – Anoint him as the second coming and, and guarantee him a roster spot last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I, look. He looks like a guy that needed seasoning and didn't get it. it. It looked almost like it was a desperation move that they they well, worried about the public perception that thought, you know what, we we are not going out at this point. Like, I don't know if this was a hextall thing, but like, we're not yeah, going out. We're we're not throwing huge money at free agents. We're still building at this point. Why not let the kid go out there and learn? But. He he just doesn't look like an NHL center right. Like he certainly doesn't look like a two C. Uh, and, and like I know that I had joked around a while back about like, oh, well, why don't you just make him the top line center and just see yeah. and I mean, see how it works with Giroux? Like maybe you end up unlocking his potential, but like, yeah, he's twenty, and like maybe maybe uh, you know for as as often as we've said that Carter Hart doesn't belong anywhere near the NHL roster, and it's not entirely fair to compare a center and a, and a goaltender. They're about the same age, so like. You know, for those who say, well, Carter Hart's too young. Well, I mean, was it fair to throw Nolan Patrick in this into this kind of position where like he's playing as a 2C? And, and quite frankly, we talked about this on the Press Row show, but like he's been on a line with JVR and Wayne Simmons, neither of whom are fleet of foot. It, it doesn't put Patrick in the most in like the most successful place. Right. Like, I, right. I, I don't think he's being bailed out by the coaching staff, at, at least in that respect. And right. And yeah, like the very few times that he's been available to us as the media. And, and this is like maybe the thing that I, I've learned in that transition of, of just being a fan to being down there and covering the team. You know, if, if media are ever critical of a player showing up or, or not, or what they say to the media, it's not necessarily that the media is just whining because they're not getting quotes. Like I could care less. We could write stuff up without quotes. There are some people who I, I'm not so sure that are on the beat could do anything if they didn't have a ton of quotes. Uh, even though the team provides those uh, quite often after the fact. Uh, Nolan Patrick doesn't say anything. And so it, it's almost not worth having him in the locker room uh, in, in a post-game scrum because he's just been coached not to say anything. And again, like this could just be a, a 19, now 20-year-old kid trying to find his way in the league, a guy who had been told probably his entire life that he was going to be the number one overall pick in a draft, and a guy who, quite frankly, you know, people, it's not that they made excuses, but they were tempering their expectations a bit because he was so young and not everybody expected him to make the team out of camp. But we're in year two and, and it doesn't really look like a lot of progress has been made. And maybe the most damning part of this is it was the first offseason he's had that he's been healthy. 
So you would expect that there should be some kind of, you know, a, a bump in production. You would think that, you know, points wise, he would get himself somewhere on the stat sheet and it's just not happening. It's fine if you're not scoring goals, but if but if you're, you know, creating for your line mates, you're getting involved in the play and ultimately you're getting those guys set up. And I know plus minus is a is an um you know, an imperfect stat, but like he just hasn't been part of a lot of scoring plays. No, he's on he's on pace to be the same thing he was last year. I mean, he scored 30 points in 73 games last year. He's got 10 points in 25 games last year, which is a pace for 31. So, I mean, you you've got to be better than 30, 31 points a season, even at this at, even at this stage. If you're especially if you're playing on the second line, I mean, he's playing he's been playing with good NHL players. He's been playing with Jake Voracek and Wayne Simmons and James Van Riemsdyk. I mean, he's playing with good players, so he needs to be better. And I know you can't do anything about I mean, obviously, Nico Heischer went ahead of him. Heischer's got more points so far than Patrick in, in their career, 71 points uh, in 107 games as opposed to Patrick with 40 and 98. Um, and So Heischer's numbers aren't off the charts either, and he was the number number one overall pick. But I, I make a comparison if you look at the next center who went, who went at pick five, the Dallas took um, – uh, Heisken in at, uh, at number three, and then Colorado took Cal, Ma- uh, Cal McCarr at, at number four. Uh, those were two defensemen. Uh, Vancouver took uh, Elias Pettersson, who was the next uh, center that was taken, or next forward that was taken at number five. They didn't put him in the league right away. They let him play another season overseas. And now he's come in this year as a rookie, and he's got 30 points in 26 games because he got that extra season playing in, in junior hockey. Um, actually, well, he was playing in, a, in the Swedish league, so that wasn't really junior hockey. But still, um, nevertheless, he, was, he, got a, he got to play another season not in the NHL. And I think Nolan Patrick would have benefited far more from that. Um, that said, he, you can't, you know, that's hindsight. That's 20, hindsight's 2020. He's here, and you've got to do something with him. He's got to get better. And continuing to trot him out there as your second-line center, and he's only putting up five goals and five assists as a second-line center is through 25 games is not good. It's just not good. Yeah, I mean, so this, you is, have this to, is like, it's not even a question at this point, but it's like, is, stag- he's gotta is, be moved down. is, is stagnation regression? And I would say, yeah. Like, it has to be, yeah. right? Like, you expect a step. Like I said, it's not like he was carrying another knock in, in the offseason. Like, he actually had the time to work on his game the entire offseason and not have to worry about a surgery, right? And this, it's it's deeply troubling. And the fact that he hasn't been moved out of that spot, I think, is is even more concerning. Now, granted, there there's a an injury to Sean Couturier. We saw Giroux return to being the top-line center, but, like, is it more likely that Dave Hackstall moves Nolan Patrick down to the 3C, or could we, in a very limited stretch here, see him try to to jumpstart his young center the guy who in theory should be carrying the mantle for the next core in nolan patrick like does does he consider moving him up to the top line center and playing with Giroux and connect and just seeing if it works or if it, it at least jump starts him and then bring coots back as the 2c like is there any possibility of it i don't see um, it but like I, I i wouldn't be adverse to seeing it happen um i don't necessarily think it happens either but I think that maybe you know there was been there was a lot of talk with 
Chuck Fletcher about like what what he feels like he needs to go out and get. He mentioned you know making the defense better. He mentioned getting a goalie. He mentioned getting another center. And I think everybody just assumed well they're going to go out and he's going to try and find a number thir- three center. What if he goes out and finds a number two center, and you put Patrick on that third third line? I think you get him against weaker opposition. Um, you could probably still put one of those veteran forwards down there with him, um, and and try and you know jumpstart him against against you know weaker lines on the other side, and maybe it gets gets him rolling that way. Um, he's had little stretches. Like if you remember at the end of last season, after Wayne Simmons got hurt, he looked really good playing on the second line, playing on the top power play unit, really started to have some jump in his game. I really liked the way he was playing then. But this season, he's i mean—he's had a game here and there where you're like, okay, yeah, that's, now I've just got to build off that. And then it just goes right back to him being invisible. And I, I wonder if it's more on the player and, and, and less on what they're trying to make him do. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we still need a little bit more time, but uh, – I think it's a. I definitely think it's a cause for concern. I think you're totally right, and I'm I'm nervous, and I'm hoping that he's able to rebound because, ultimately, as we look at this fractured fractured locker room, Jesus, we've gone really negative. Uh, as we look at this locker room, like Nolan Patrick has to be one of the guys that leads this team uh, after this core is either dismantled by Chuck Fletcher, or just attrition works its way through, and and you know we're a couple of years down the line and. And the the core of this team has to pass the mantle to the next group. You've got to hope that Nolan Patrick's one of the guys who rises to the occasion. But to this point, there's been nothing to show that he's going to. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, yep. Is there anything else that we should talk about with that locker room? Uh, somebody did ask the no. question on on Twitter. Uh, where was it at? Do 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 do. Uh, Eric Hoflick said on Twitter in the wake of multiple front office and assistant coaching firings. Uh, what has been the general morale in the locker room? Are the players at all affected by the organizational flu- organizational flux or turmoil? Yeah, yeah, they've been affected. They they yeah. look they've looked shell shocked at times. The immediate aftermath of Hextall being fired, they look shell shocked. After Pryor and Murphy were fired, they looked even more shell shocked. It's like I said, it's not a team that right now feels like it has a lot of mental fortitude. I'm sure there are speci- there are certain guys on the roster who are tough. Uh, you know, physically and mentally and are able to kind of get over this and they know that it's a business, yada, yada, yada. They're just other guys who look just kind of overwhelmed by the moment. And then there are some that just look glassed over. And I, I don't know how to feel about that crew. Um, I, I do kind of come back around to the idea, and this is something I think I said in the off season. it might have been in the very beginning of the season, but I am questioning whether the next core, like I, I think that Couturier and Gostaspair, I would say, are kind of like the guys who bridge the gap between the older vets, which would include like Giroux and Voracek, and the younger guys like, uh, you know, Konechny and, and Patrick, I, I really do wonder if the youngest of the group, if that younger group like the, the Konechny's and the Nolan Patrick's, I, I wonder if they've now tuned out this leadership core. And this kind of comes back to the question of, you know, this team's gotten blown out so often and, and how does it happen and why does it happen? I, I don't know if it's that the young players don't respect the coach and by extension, they don't respect this leadership core because they effectively have to act as the liaison for the coaching staff. But I, I, I've never really gotten the feeling watching them on the bench or, or you know, hearing things that they're saying in the locker room that makes me think that this young group really believes in the, the leadership core that's in place right now. 
And I don't know if you need to go out and get like the most macho of macho men uh, to really grab this team by the horns. But at this point, like I, I just don't see anything that makes me think that they're going to turn this thing around. I think there's a ch- there's a possibility, and a few of the players have said it throughout the season that, you know, hockey is a funny game. You get one lucky bounce here or there, you start putting some pucks in the back of the net, and all of a sudden, you know, you're riding a huge momentum wave. Uh, like I, that part's possible, but I, I don't necessarily think that this team has the ability to go out on the ice and and put together, you know, a sustained drive of success. You know, six or seven games unbeaten in regulation. Like I don't know if this team has it. I think they need to make a move. And while people have been clamoring for Chuck Fletcher to blow this whole thing up or to, to go out and, you know, fire the coach or, you know, trade a, a core member of the team or go out and make a couple big deals, like, you also have to, at the same time, realize that Chuck Fletcher has to do his due diligence in evaluating every player now that he is the GM and he gets to see how things work day in and day out. Now that he has the ability to do that with the coaching staff, like, I just think it's a, it's a hard spot to be in because... In a sense, you're in purgatory because you know what this team is. We've seen what the team is to this point. But at the same time, I think rational people have to give the GM time to evaluate and make moves that are going to be the best for the team in, you know, the short term, this season, even next season and going forward, you know, further down the line. And I I think it's a hard it's a hard thing to balance. And I think it's a hard sell to the fan base. But this is kind of where we're at. Right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is where we're, this is where we're at. Um, I, I, it's, it's kind of a difficult spot for this team right now. Um, they're the, they have the fifth worst record in the league. They're next to last in the conference. They're um, seven points out of a playoff spot right now. I mean, it's these are not things that bode well for this time of year. Um, and, and and if Chuck Fletcher is going to make moves he's going to start really you don't just make a move in a, in a day like you don't just start saying okay i'm i'm selling here we go and then make it happen right so it's probably something that conversations start happening in you know usually mid-january um and with the trade deadline at the end of february and you know sometimes deals get done in a couple weeks sometimes it takes the full six weeks to make a deal and sometimes the deal doesn't get done but my point is is that they don't have much time left to to kind of suggest that they can get back into this. I mean, they really have a month, you know, to really kind of show that they can, you know, get back into contention. Um, and this is going to be tough, man. I mean, Saturday was a nice win. Sunday was a disaster against Winnipeg. Um, Calgary is no joke. Calgary is playing some really good hockey. That's going to be a tough game. Edmonton's been playing much better since Ken Hitchcock took over as coach. That's going to be a tough game. Even Vancouver, um, who's not as good as any of these other teams that they've played on this road trip, uh, has been playing decent hockey, and that's going to be a tough game. Um, so the Flyers really, you know, when you when you look at what's coming up for them, this is not an easy path to, to turning this around. Can they do it? Sure. I mean, they can. I mean, we've seen it before. Just when you think that this team is done and this team is, you know, on the verge of an utter collapse, they find a way to win three, four, five games in a row, and then and then all of a sudden everything's okay again. But even when they come home next week, okay, Detroit, who's playing better than I think a lot of people thought, they're not that great of a team. But then you got Nashville, who's tough. Columbus, who's tough. And then you go on a road trip again with the Rangers on a back-to-back coming off the Columbus game, and then Tampa, 
which is, you know, what Tampa is, right? And then Florida and Carolina, that's that's probably a little bit easier portion of the of the stretch to round out the month of December. But this is not this is not a good stretch of games. It's not going to be easy for them. And so they got to they've got to, you know, do it now or um or forever uh, uh you know, hold your peace kind of thing. I mean, it's going to it's going to kind of it's going to it's going to change if they either either, you know, they got to get it done in the next 3 4 weeks. They do. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm just trying to find a little bit of positivity in this. And yeah. I feel like we've gone super negative, but in fairness, like, and, and I think this is a thing that, that the fans have, have felt. And I think this is why so many people are, are looking for an honest take on, on the team, which they don't necessarily get everywhere. Um, it, it's, it's a hard thing right now. I, I don't yeah. see them firing the coach. And I know that no. there are people who are, you know, kind of waiting this thing out. I just don't see it happening. And so, like, if, if you've been in the Fire Hackstall camp, like, I, I don't see it being a thing. I don't think it's a logical thing to happen. I don't even think it's, it's so, like, there, there was a part of me, I think we had talked about this at the last home game, where I said, you know, if you go out and you only get, like, I don't know, like three points on this West Coast trip, then maybe there's some pressure. But I think at the same time, again, this, this comes back to Chuck Fletcher having to really evaluate things. Dave Hackstall finally seems to have the liberty or he seems to have been liberated and he's allowed to run his system and, and run what he really wants and run the player personnel packages that he wants. He can set his lines the way he wants them, set his defensive pairings the way he wants them. And, and in fairness, sometimes that's not good. Like we've seen Andrew McDonald reinserted in the lineup and, and things have not gone well uh, for AMAC. I feel like you need to give him a few more games and, and get a real idea of, of what exactly Dave Hackstall is going to do with this roster. But then again, at any given point, Chuck Fletcher could finally decide that it's the moment to make a trade, and maybe the whole thing does kind of flip on its head. Like maybe, maybe you go out and you shake up this core, and you bring in somebody who is vocal, who is a vocal leader, who is somebody who is demonstrative on the ice, and is somebody who I don't know back, backs up their their play with words and with actions. And I, I don't know, I don't know who that guy is, and I don't know what it'll take. But I do know that that next week. Uh, or not next week, next year, uh, we've got plenty of guys that are going to hit the open market and the team has $30, $35 million in cap space. So I, I don't want to see, I know that a lot of people want to see this team make the playoffs this year. Of course, I do as well. But I don't want to see them make a bad move for the sake of trying to, you know, go for some kind of playoff run this year and then end up tying up money next, you know, in, in next year and, and the year after. So I don't know. Uh, I guess I guess we'll see how this works out. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will. We have a couple five star reviews. Actually, three. Oh, we have three five star reviews that I want to get to. And I know one of them is going to be awesome. One of them is amazing, and we need to give it the time <laughs> that it that it really deserves. Uh, of course, we'll be back uh, at some point next week with a a new show, and we'll of course break down more of the Flyers game stuff. But I, I think at this point, we'd be uh, kind of doing people a disservice if we didn't kind of hit some of those main points that we did to lead off the show. Especially because it's it's insight that you can't get anywhere else. So hopefully, you know, if, if people were coming here waiting for a you know a legitimate breakdown of the advanced stats on the last few games, uh, you might not have gotten that this episode. But we'll be sure to uh, to come back at you with some game recaps. But in the meantime, we've got some five star reviews that we absolutely have to talk about. And of course, if you haven't done this yet, if you haven't gone onto iTunes and left a five star rating, you need to do that immediately. It's a big help to us. But if, uh, if you can, also leave a review because the reviews are what we really love to read. And uh, 
<sighs> I I haven't been this excited to read a review in a while. Are you ready, my friend? <laughs> I can't wait. Of course wait. you are. All right. <clears throat> this one's by Things Are Looking Up. Like the dad I always wanted. Russ is good, too. I've seen reviews call Anthony Sanfilippo arrogant, but the reality is we're all just petulant teenagers who think we know better. But Anthony Sanfilippo is always there like a wise dad saying, I told you so. But in a wise fatherly way, not a total jerk face way. I just wish Anthony Sanfilippo would play catch with me. I never wrote an iTunes review before. Hopefully this gets me the fatherly attention I so desperately crave. My therapist says I tend to overshare in public forums. He also loves Snow the Goalie. It seriously really is the best. Thank you, things are looking up. That's fantastic. That's maybe the best five-star review we'll ever get. Ever. I mean, like, ever. We, we might get five-star reviews for the next five years. Nothing's going to top like the dad I always wanted. <laughs> things are looking up. I don't know who you are. Uh, I don't know if you're on Twitter, but I want you to reach out to us. And I want to set up you playing catch with Anthony. Yeah, we should do it. We'll get a video. We have the new video guy, right, at Crossing Broad? Oh, yeah. Who yeah, will be, we'll we'll be announced in a few weeks, I believe. So that, that's yeah. a thing. So, yeah, yeah we'll so have we to, could, that'll be some we'll, good we'll content. We'll set it up. Hashtag content. Con- tell, ha- have him. Um, so things are looking up. Should contact us via Twitter. Just, you know, send us a message, either me or Russ. We'll set it up, and we'll do a whole thing where we'll talk hockey while we're playing catch. And we'll put it on video. That'd be great. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good idea. All right, uh, we have two more here. Uh, one, one is by uh, Jack Dan, who says, uh, best pod for inside view on the Flyers, five stars. Woo. Love this podcast. Two exclamation points. Uh, it's a must listen to any Flyers fan. Ant was basically the Dave Spadaro of the Flyers, so he clearly still has tons of connections within the organization, which he has leveraged to break news on Hexie's ultimate firing, their chase of Stasny on July 1st, and the team's view of Morgan Frost. Russ's strange tangents are starting to grow on me, but I'd wish he would stop interrupting Anthony when he's on a roll. See, I addressed that in this episode, Anthony. I let, you did. I let you, you, let go. Me, you let me go. Yeah. Uh, he sometimes stops Anthony in the middle of an insiderish story to segue into some analogy, and they fail to get back to uh, complete Ant's original story. Also, I wish Russ would stop with the immature bashing of Broad Street Hockey Radio. You waste valuable pod time bashing them. It's unnecessary. Let them do their thing, and you keep doing yours. Overall, I love the podcast and the home of the Facebook Live Periscope Show's are a must-watch to keep up the good work, guys. It's a nice review. Love it. It's a nice review. Yeah, it's a good review. I'm done bashing people. This is it's fair. This is all that I'm going to say. I'm done bashing people. Uh, I have been disappointed, and Anthony will never say this because Anthony is a pretty pretty humble guy, uh, even though some people think he's arrogant. I don't know why, but um, I think it's it's uh, it's been not disheartening. Disheartening might be the wrong word, but to uh, to work with Anthony. And to know that he's getting the the scoops that he's getting, and he's reporting it, and then to not to see like the the general uh, lack of respect that's shown to it by members of the beat, other sites that cover hockey, to never see his stuff linked to other uh, uh, readerships, I think is disingenuous. And and I've seen enough, and I've heard enough of people citing other writers who write something similar as long as a, or as late as a week after the fact, after Anthony first reports it, I just think it's doing readerships a disservice. I think it does listenerships a disservice. There have been times on the website that there are people that I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of, and it's not just hockey, it's it's other sports as well. When we write stuff up 
at Crossing Broad, we cite those people. We don't necessarily think they're the best at their at their respective jobs, but if they have a scoop first, we report it. That's what we do because ultimately, whatever you think of the site, we try to be honest and we try to be genuine. And if somebody has a scoop, we try to report it as such. And I think that there are some people in the city who, for whatever reason, uh, don't want to show that respect. And I think it's upset. Like it, I find it upsetting. Anthony doesn't seem to. He just kind of brushes it off. But I just I don't think it's doing people the the. I don't even know what the word is. I'm just like kind of disgusted by it. I just don't think people. I don't think they're doing their their people uh, justice. I think at some fine. point you just like just present it's it. Fine. Just present the news. Yeah. I, I I'm just I'm not going to dwell on this. I just I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't think that you're wrong. Um, I guess the reason that I brush it off is because I've been covering this hockey team now for the better part of 18 years. Um, people know who I am. I don't feel like I need to be you know jumping up and down saying look at me, look at me, look at me. That's my job. It, yeah, well, that's fine, and that's I'm the I get guy. it. <laughs> and I get it. Um, so I mean, if people are gonna, people are going to find. If I write a story and I break a story, people are going to see it. People are going to find it. Um, if nobody else wants to give me credit for it, I, I don't. I'm not looking for it. I'm not. I'm just doing a job, right? I'm just doing the job that that I'm getting paid for at Crossing Broad. I'm not looking for glory. I'm not looking for people to say, "Oh, Anthony's the best." Anthony this, Anthony that. I. It doesn't. That doesn't matter to me so much. Um, so I, as long as as long as people are seeing it, and I know people are seeing it, and we can tell based off of the traffic that we get to certain stories, the traffic that the that we're getting on the podcast, the traffic that we're getting on the Press Row show, we know people are seeing what we're doing, and so therefore, to, if if someone else doesn't want to credit me, then they don't credit me. I'm, I'm I get what you're saying, and and you're not wrong, but I don't. It doesn't affect me, and it, I don't care as much about it as maybe you do. This is the other. This is my uh, my only other thing before we move on, uh, is that I I think that when people try to marginalize or try to trivialize uh, Anthony's sourcing on things, and people claim that they know who sources are or they have the same sources, all I would say is I think if people had the same sources that Anthony did, they would report something. And might I say that if those people happen to report something, it would probably be the first time they've ever done it, but we would still cite it, whether we like them or not, because that's doing the right thing. All right, last five-star review. Of course, this one, the most recent, by Scott Hartnell's Lost Glove. The only Flyers podcast in Philadelphia, five stars. I stumbled across Snow the Goalie in the offseason when the hockey content is at a minimum and quickly fell in love with the show. Between guests, informative insights, and actual reporting, it can't be beat. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great job. I look forward to the show drop every week, and it has become a must-listen. We appreciate that. So a big thank you to Jack Dan, to Things Are Looking Up, who wants to play catch with Anthony, and Scott Hartnell's Lost Glove. Huh. That's nice. So does that mean that we have one Scott Hartnell's glove? We have one accounted for and one is lost? Yeah. Hmm. It was lost and now it's found. Hopefully, the Flyers will find some success in the next few games so that next week we can uh, come back with a more positive show. Oh, speaking of shows, Anthony, do you want to hit people with a little bit of info? Yeah, so I know we've been we've been teasing this for a while um, and I'm still going to be teasing it, but uh, it's part of why because, we didn't release a show last week. We thought yeah, there was a small we, chance that it was going to go off last week. Right. And then it, it, we were asked to just wait until after the road trip, but it we have confirmed not one, but two significant guests for Snow the Goalie. Say it again, um, Anthony. How many how many significant guests? 
two. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> we have two significant guests coming up for Snow the Goalie, um, and we will be recording them probably at the same time. We'll probably put them out in two separate episodes so that they get their just uh, just do, um, but we will be recording them simultaneously uh, down at uh, Skate Zone one day when they get back from the trip, and um, yeah. So as soon as as soon as they're back from the trip, we will have two significant guests. Uh, I'm excited to announce who they are, but I want to wait until they get back just to make sure that <laughs> just to make sure that everybody's still employed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, but but both parties have agreed. Uh, to be on the show so that's that's exciting news um and uh i look forward to our next maybe our next episode uh being the one that has at least one of them um uh but uh if if not the next episode certainly the one right after that snow the goalie is of course the people's podcast the players podcast the breaking news podcast the guests that matter podcast and of course the podcast with the best fans, the best listeners, and those who we love and care about deeply. So, Anthony, it's been another fun episode. A little bit, little bit down. We're a little bit down. But the team hopefully will rebound as they uh, finish out their West Coast swing. And, of course, uh, it will be exciting when we get to reveal the, uh, the mystery guests. I think it's going yeah. to blow some minds. And I'm, yeah, it's pretty cool. Can I say it, it might even be humongous big? <laughs> You and your bris. bris as, as much as I can, I'm going to try to throw people off. Uh, anyway, until our next episode, when we'll even do the uh, the return of Who's That Flyer. Can we play Who's That Flyer with the guests? Oh, maybe we could. Maybe we could. Get them to read That's a five-star a... review? That could be fun. <laughs> that would be Oh, my God. What actually. if we get one of them to play catch with you at Skate Zone? Yes. <laughs> get things are looking up to meet us down at Skate Zone. Oh, yeah, this could go. be a great moment. Anyway. There you go. Uh, for Anthony, who you can find on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Uh, go check out the other shows in Crossing Broad Podcast Network. You can find those uh, links to those shows in the description of this episode as well as every other episode. And, of course, our Twitter handles are there. All you have to do is click on them on pretty much any podcast app, and uh, you'll be redirected to our Twitter feeds. So follow us there. Keep the conversation going. And uh, until the next game, you're going to be out, what, Tuesday? Tuesday's game, you won't be there. We'll have to do – Right. I'll have to but... uh, put together a press row show with somebody else or do it by myself. That would be sad. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Meltzer will do it. Meltzer was a nice guy. I liked having him on that last time that uh, that you weren't down there. And uh, we'll definitely be reunited on on Thursday for the uh, Nashville game. So that'll be exciting. But uh, until the press row show rides again and until Snow the Goalie is back in your podcast feed, I'm Russ. That's Anthony. Thanks for listening. Check us out everywhere else and uh, check out the site for Anthony. Who knows? Will he break news? He probably will. Will it be huge? It probably will. So keep your eyes peeled there. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you again soon.